Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, why we take a moment to come before the Lord. It's game day, VVS, amen. Who's excited? Who's excited to beat back some darkness today with the word of God and the spirit of God? at work among the people of God as we minister the gospel of grace to people in need, to children who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and risen to save anybody who believes. So let's come before the Lord and ask for help today. Amen. Amen. All right. Father, we come before you, Lord, in the midst of a, a whole different world in this room, Lord. We're, we're being taken to a place where we're recalling the, the spiritual conflict that we are in, where we're realizing, Lord, that we live in a, a, a day where a spiritual battle is going on. It's been raging for centuries. And Father, we pray that your spirit would be upon this time, that you would minister to us, your people, with your word. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear the truth of the scriptures about this great conflict, this great war. And Lord, that we would not major on the devil, but that we'd major on Jesus in the midst of it. But Father, I pray that you would help us if we're trapped in some way, if we've been deceived in some way, lulled to sleep, if we've experienced great discouragement over the past several months, perhaps. God, I pray for liberation in hearts. I pray for souls to be moved. I pray for a great gravity and seriousness to come upon us. But Lord, that we would be strengthened with the wings of the gospel, Lord, coming up under us to lift us in the midst of a real battle and a real conflict. And we ask that your spirit would do now what only you can do that you would fill me, help me to get out of the way, and may your words speak to us from Ephesians chapter 6, and may we get great help. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I can remember growing up and my grandparents, who uh, on my father's side are both Jewish, and they took me to the movie Schindler's List in 1993. And I didn't really hear too much about the Holocaust, and I didn't hear too much about Nazi Germany from my grandparents. They didn't like to talk about it, but they lived it. They lived in Nazi Germany as Hitler was rising to power, and everything seemed okay, and all of a sudden there's a strange, subtle move And the darkness begins to encroach. And the Nazis rise to power. And being a Jew in Nazi Germany in that day meant you had a very serious enemy. You had a deadly enemy. You had an enemy all around you. And you were finding a way. Like, what what do I do? The conflict is upon us. And I remember like going to see Schindler's List, and I remember watching my grandparents just weep as they relived what happened in that great conflict. And sometimes it feels like 
like that just happened in another world, like that's a, a story, but that's reality. And, and sometimes we need to be stabbed awake to the reality of the spiritual war and the spiritual conflict that we are in. And much like in Nazi Germany, when people started to get awakened, especially if you were Jewish, that you had a real threat. My grandparents had to flee, one to England and one to the Shanghai refugee camp, my grandfather. And it was like a ghetto. And he lived for seven years, lost all his teeth, contracted typhoid fever. He almost got blown up in a guard shack by an allied bomb that was not meant for that place. So it was just like wartime mentality. There's a whole different way of looking at the world. And that's what I want us to see today from Scripture, because that's the biblical reality that the Bible actually says that we're involved in a great spiritual war, and we have an invisible war going on between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the devil. That's what Ephesians 6 puts before us. That's what the whole storyline of the Bible and biblical theology running from Genesis to Revelation, there is a great war going on. But it's not a war of equals, right? We don't put Satan on the same level as God. Satan is a created being, and he went bad. And there's mystery shrouding all of that, but he's a great enemy. He's the one who personifies all the evil in the world. He's the one who, who puts a face on it. There, there would be no Hitlers if there wasn't a devil, a real devil. There would be nobody falling into addictions and, and the snares of the evil one. There would be no wars and there would be no pestilence. There'd be no evil in the world. It started with that great serpent of old, the devil. And we're in the midst of this battle. We're caught up in this battle. It has arrived at your doorstep. It's not far out there. It's not way back in the land of Nazi Germany, right, 80 years ago or whatever. No, this is a great spiritual war that's going on 24-7. It's going on 365 days a year. And mankind has a supernatural enemy who neither sleeps nor slumbers, but tirelessly works to undo humanity and the plan of God and the purpose of God in this world. He doesn't take PTO. He doesn't get tired of doing evil or inciting evil in the world. And he doesn't get tired of messing with you. And maybe you're already asleep to this battle. You, you, you don't even realize you're in a battle because you're already a prisoner of war. You've been lulled to sleep because you don't realize there's a real devil. And sometimes in our modern world, we forget what's really going on. And we start thinking like, oh, if I start talking about a real devil, a real personal devil, a real spiritual war, a real conflict between good and evil, darkness and light. Well, that's a little outdated, right? But nothing could explain the world in which we live today better than the reality that there's a real Satan and real warfare going on in the world, right? 
You don't start forgetting what it means to be a boy or a girl or a man or a woman if there's not a real devil in the world. That's a result of the blinding powers of the devil to some of the most basic bedrock fundamental realities of human existence. And we are living in a day when the devil is just showing us his cards a little bit, right? Like, hey, here I am. 1 John 5, 19, still true. We know that we are from God, the Christians, right? And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's not my opinion. That's the Bible talking to us. That's God speaking to you, helping you see what's really going on. Now, we can get sensational. We can get simplistic. And we can make several mistakes when we start talking about spiritual warfare. We can overestimate the devil and make him bigger than he is. And we start seeing the devil under every stool and under uh, under every table. C.S. Lewis was famous for saying this. You can be unhealthy in your interest in Satan and everything is devil, devil, devil and Jesus isn't making it into the picture, right? So we don't want to do that. But we can also underestimate the devil and act like he doesn't exist. And there'd be no addictions in this room, right? But there's something broken in us. There's there's a blinding power that the devil has. And he gets people starting to live a certain way and thinking like, hey, this rebellion, I'm just going to taste and see this little rebellion thing, and all of a sudden you get hooked. The devil loves to show you the bait, but never the hook underneath. And so many of us forget just how he operates. In this battle, the stakes are high. Life and death, heaven and hell, slavery and freedom, bondage and liberty, And 1 John 3.8 reminds us that the purpose that Jesus came into the world was to destroy the works of the devil. We don't need to put on a VBS if that verse isn't true, right? Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. And Ephesians 6 is going to help us navigate this thing. It's going to help us get equipped. It's going to help us see things the way they really are. So let's walk into it. This is Paul's final sort of crescendo in the the letter to the Ephesian church. It's the last thing he's going to say. And he saves the most important for the last. He's like, you want to get all my ethical teachings under your belt? You want to get all of the, the realities of what it means to live the Christian life? But I don't want you to forget this thing. This thing is most important. You're living in a spiritual war. Let's look at it right now in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against 
the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which is which you with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we'll stop there. We're not going to deal with the armor of God. There's just so much here today. We're going to deal with the first couple verses of this passage. To just help us get acclimated. Like what, what, what do we need to know today? We need to know what our strength is in the midst of this battle. Right? We need to know what our challenge is. And we need to know what the call upon the Christian is in this battle. So we're going to look at those one at a time. Point number one, our strength comes from God. Be strong in the Lord, Paul says. Look at it in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So as Christians, we don't come into the conflict... Confident in our own abilities, our own insight, our own power, our own strength. Our strength and our abilities come from another place. They come from another source. They come from divine resources. They come from being strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. It's coming from God. It's His strength. It's His might. It's His power. That's the Christian's strength. Is that your strength today? Or do you naturally lean towards your own abilities? Do you naturally try to kind of like, I'm going to try to nail this thing down. I've got a problem going on. Instead of praying, instead of getting into the word, you begin to try to handle it on your own or manipulate the situation and try to fix it that way. When the text says, be strong in the Lord, And in the strength of his might. Now the Bible tells us that it's not by power nor by might. But by the spirit says the Lord. We put our confidence in God. We put our confidence in him. He's the great fountainhead. He's the great source of all power. And all strength to fight the demonic realm. We won't ever have victory over Satan. We won't ever have victory over uh, the, the temptations of the evil one. We won't have victory over the methods the devil kind of weasels into your life and slithers in there like he slithered into the garden if your strength is not in God. If you put this little Christian thing as a sidebar in your life and it's like, I'm going I'm to run out to battle, but... 
but I've left like all my armor on the ground. I'm running out my tidy whities I'm not in the strength of God. Well, that won't do. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. So that's something to, to think about. What do we lean on when the, when the fires of trial come upon your life? When the battle is raging, where do you find yourself going? What are you clinging to? What are you looking to? What are you trusting in? Is it the Lord? Or is it something else? Are you seeking power and security somewhere else? Maybe in your job, maybe your 401k, maybe in how the farm is doing. How's the crops going this season? No, it's our strength is in the Lord. The battle's raging. You might wonder, well, what, what do I, uh, you know, this whole spiritual cosmic warfare going on, and I'm just trying to do some farming and make sure I'm taking care of business on the farm. Brothers and sisters, I give you Job to consider. He was a farmer, and the devil messed with him, right? So the devil's got a bullseye on your back if you're a Christian. This is a Christian thing, and he's got a bullseye on your back if you're not a Christian. And he already has you. The whole world, the world trapped in sin without Christ is under the sway of the evil one. That's what the Bible says. So as we sung, right, when heavenly armor enters the land, the battle belongs to the Lord. Like when heavenly armies, excuse me, enter the land, the battle belongs to the Lord, right? We don't want to be like taking a census. Okay, how many strong are we at Smithfield? Let's see what kind of damage we can do. No, our strength is in the Lord, right? Jesus used 12 men to flip the world upside down. Jesus used one man to flip Ephesus on its ear. So much so that people all around began to know about what was going on. And, and, and this Paul had some strange power. When he spoke about Jesus, people's lives were changed. When he spoke about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead three days later, and he can forgive sin, and he can set people free, and people started getting liberated from demonism and bondage and, and addictions and, and, and rebellion, and they started coming to know God. I remember reading the account in the book of Acts of the seven sons of Sceva who tried to do spiritual warfare in their own strength. They tried to do it on their own. And they went up to a demon-possessed man and, and they said, we adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preached. Come out of him. And the demon in the man looked at them, said, Jesus, I know, I've heard of Paul, I don't know you. And he pounced on them all and they ran out naked from the scene because they tried to do spiritual battle in their own strength. They didn't have Jesus. Paul says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul says the strength of the man of God and the woman of God and the teenager of God and the child of God comes from 
God himself. We can be very eager to gather up all the armor and start trusting in the armor instead of the God of the armor. The battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. So when we look to scriptures, where do we see the people of God turning for strength? We see it. An example in Joshua when he had to step into the shoes of Moses. Now, that would be kind of scary, right? You're about to step into Moses' shoes. Talk about one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. Joshua 1.9 says, The Lord says to him, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord is your strength. Or what about David? He knew what it was to be a king and see a mutiny arise within his ranks. And what does he do in the face of that kind of attack, right? 1 Samuel 36 reminds us, And David was greatly distressed. You would be too. For the people spoke of stoning him. They were going to kill him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, because they had been taken captive by some enemies. But what does David do? He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. How many of us is that the answer, right? You get all bent out of shape. You get all overworked. You get all, all kinds of twisted up. And the answer is drop to our knees. And draw strength from our God. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Open the book. Take and eat. Get involved in a Bible study. Come to a prayer meeting. Be a part of the people of God. Getting energized with the strength of God. And the power of God. For the mission of God in the world. It won't happen any other day. Or any other way. Even verse 11. It says put on the whole armor of God. Right? So we got to do something. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. We don't automatically come with the armor on every time we begin the day. It's not like we roll out of bed and all of a sudden there's a, a, a full night's armor on us. You have to put it on. Just like Paul said earlier in Ephesians, put off the old man and put on the new man in Christ. Put off lying and tell the truth. Right? Right? Put off bitterness and put on forgiveness. Well, now we've, we're told we've got to put on the armor of God. We've got to get dressed with our div divine defenses. That's how the strength comes. We've been issued heavenly armor, heavenly defenses. And if we neglect it, we do so to our own spiritual decay. So think about getting up in the morning and you just don the armor of God. You put on the armor of God. Right? Rambo's not going to run around fighting a battle in his underwear. He gets ready. He gets prepared. And neither do Christians. But sadly, sometimes we do. Have you ever been just beat down by your day? You just beat up. Like, you can't even catch up to your day. It's just pummeling you. Boom, boom, boom. And you're just feeling so overwhelmed. Right? What's happening there? What's going on? What's, what's the signals in your soul but that you're being 
beat down by the attacks of the enemy. You're in a battle, but you've got spiritual pajamas on. And you've got to get on the armor, right? That's what Paul's commending. That's what he's telling us. And we get great help from that. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do we believe that? Greater is he who is in the Christian. It's not true of the unbeliever. But the spirit of Christ is in the Christian. You have spiritual strength in you. You've got that same resurrection power in you that was in Jesus. Look, look with me real quick and, and just look how Paul, chapter 3 um, of Ephesians, at the end of the chapter in verse 14, this is how he prays for spiritual strength. This is what you could do, okay? For this reason, this is Paul. For this reason, I bow my knees, verse 14 of chapter 3, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul's after. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord. That's what it means to come on your knees before God and say, Lord, strengthen me for the battle today and lead me into a standing position. When the enemy attacks, we're standing on Christ. We're standing on the gospel. We're standing on the truth that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Life, came into a world of darkness and he defeated Satan. He said to Satan in the wilderness and he did what Adam and Israel failed to do and said, it is written. He did what Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden. He did what Israel failed to do as they wandered in the wilderness, grumbling at God. And then he went to a cross for you and I. And that, as the Christian trusts in this crucified and risen Savior, the strength of the Spirit empowers you for the work of ministry. You can't do ministry outside of the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've seen we've got to be strong in the Lord. Could have spent all, all day there. Point number two, our challenge. And this is, I've been praying about this. I hope that, that our challenge, which is the schemes of the devil, I hope you get some help here. I hope you get untwisted. Maybe the devil's already got some schemes going on in your life right now. Look at it in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may what? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's crafty. He's cunning. He's deceptive. He has methods. He has devices. He has ways of getting and working in your life that's calculated and careful in how to best trip you up. Tailor-made temptations just for you. And if you're a Christian, it's always to lead you away from God. And guess what? If you're not a Christian in the room, it's to lead you away from God. And to enslave you. 
and bring you into bondage. That's what he's about. The Greek word for schemes is actually the word method. The devil has methods. That means he's methodological, right? He's thinking through the strategies. He has thousands and thousands of years of studying human nature. And guess what? He didn't even need all of that. He came right in the garden with his biggest guns. And he unloaded on Adam and Eve. The old King James says that we must be aware of the wiles of the devil or to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I always think of those old Sunday morning cartoons. Who, who watches Sunday morning cartoons still? Don't lie. Look at everybody. No hand up. No hand. Okay. All right. So Sunday morning cartoons, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. They call him Wile E. Coyote, right? Because he's always looking for ways to trap the Roadrunner. The whole cartoon, he's devising these ways that he's going to try to trap and, and, and drop like an acne anvil onto the Roadrunner or, or burn him with fire or do something like that. And the whole time, he's strategizing. Except he's kind of bumbling and he never gets the Roadrunner, right? The Roadrunner always outsmarts him. But he is tireless. And there's thousands of cartoons to demonstrate that he's got all sorts of methods. Now, the devil's not incompetent like Wile E. Coyote. Can I just say that? His strategies work. His traps work. His methods have been proven since the Garden of Eden. And they're always seeking to trip you up. And that's what he loves and lives for. To destroy and bring spiritual shipwreck into the lives of Christians and to continue to enslave and drive a wedge between men and God. So what are these strategies that I've been talking about? What are these ways that the devil kind of ekes into your life, sneaks up on you, confronts you? Method number one, he lies. The devil's a liar, right? His lies are always built on deception, or his temptations are always built on deception in your life. He's always telling you that this thing that you have is going to be better if you go against God's good designs, right? Have sex outside of marriage. No consequences. He doesn't tell you it'll bring you into bondage. He doesn't tell you it'll bring you into depression, right? Go against God's good designs and there will be no consequences. He's a liar and he's been doing it from the beginning. He lies to Christians about who God is and about who we are and about who our identity is. If you're struggling with an identity issue today, it's because of the lies of the devil. Let's look at it for a moment. So John chapter 8 Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, and he's confronting them. They're seeking to destroy him, and this is what he says to him, and it instructs us a little bit about the nature and character of the devil. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And what was he like? He was a murderer from the beginning 
And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character because he was the father, or he's a liar and the father of lies. So the slithering serpent, way back in the book of Genesis, weaseled into the psyche of humanity. And he started whispering lies right from the start. You remember what he said? What's he tell Adam and Eve? He says to them, you will surely not die if you eat the tree or from the tree in the midst of the garden. There's going to be no consequences for disobeying God. In fact, the fruit of the tree is actually good for you. You're going to be, you're going to like it. Not only are you going to like it, God's kind of withholding from you. And you're going to become like God. You take that fruit, you take that, 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 that from that tree, and you're going to be like God. You're going to be your own God. You get to make up your own rules. You get to do your own thing. You don't have to regard anything about God's good design. And then he starts making God out to be this cosmic killjoy. God's like, in a garden, man, woman, paradise, every tree's yours but the one, because I'm God. And the devil's like, actually, he's not letting you have any of the trees. He's not going to let you have this tree. He Listen, he doesn't want you to be God. You go ahead and take that from that tree, and you can be God, and it'll be good. Your eyes will be open. You'll be blessed. And darkness comes in. What happens? Shame, darkness, separation from God. And some of you are there right now without hope. And this text is reminding you about the methods of the devil. Jesus can deal with getting you unstuck from the lies of the devil. That's his business. He came to destroy the works of the devil. God sent somebody to stomp on the serpent's head, right? What's Genesis 3 say? But the serpent is cursed. Cursed are you going to be on the ground? You're going to be slithering about? And then I'm going to bring a seed out of the woman, and, and he will crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. And, and Jesus gets bruised on the cross. His heel's bruised, but he stomps on Satan's head. Dealing with our greatest problem, he makes the payment for the sins of all who will believe. To set you free from the bondage to the devil and to your own sins and from his lies. So you may have taken the bait and the hook came with it, but Jesus can set you free. If the Son has set you free, then you're free indeed. And never forget the wisdom of the Proverbs. That must reflect the garden on some level. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, the way is death. And that's what happens when we believe the lies of Satan. We taste that forbidden fruit, and it lets us down. Has that happened for you? Has it happened in your life? Only the truth of God can set us free. Only the truth about Jesus. He's the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to God. No one gets back to God except through him. So that's the first method. He lies. Second, we see that he accuses and condemns us. The devil loves to accuse you and he loves to condemn you. In fact, he loves to tempt you to sin. And then when you fall prey to the temptation, then he's like, you're not a Christian. How could you have done that? You would never, if you were really a Christian, you would never have done that. And he starts accusing you, right? And even after you repent, 
And you're like, Lord, I'm sorry, I've done this. And you still feel those accusing thoughts coming at you. What's happening? What's going on? The devil's heaping on you. He's lobbing volleys of accusation. Isn't that not what we see in uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians and, and verse 16? Look at it. We're told to take up the shield of faith. Why? Because we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. His accusations are being volleyed at you all the time. And some of you are just believing them. And you feel so condemned and so low, though you're a believer. And you can't quite explain it. Why do I feel so terrible? Because you've forgotten you're in a spiritual conflict and you've forgotten the wiles of the devil. So what do you do if you're experiencing that? Well, you Romans 8 won it, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, or Romans 8.33. Try that for some medicine and healing balm in a time like that. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring an accusation? If it is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised, and who is at the right hand of God. Indeed, he's interceding for us. Jesus is the one who undoes condemnation in the life of a Christian. Jesus is the one who lifts it off your shoulders. Jesus is the one who takes it from you. So when the Father looks at you, there's a smile over your life. When God looks at you, if you're in Christ. Notice, if you're in Christ. But you will feel the condemnation, rightly so, of being estranged from God. You never feel right. You feel like something's wrong in your soul until you get put right with God. And that comes through Jesus Christ. I remember the story of Martin Luther. He, deal, he dealt with all kinds of attacks, spiritual attacks. He led the Protestant Reformation. In the dark ages, when the gospel was being sold for money instead of proclaimed freely so that men might believe and the word of God was being hidden from people, it was Martin Luther who said no. The just shall live by faith. The, 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 the Christian is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to the scriptures alone. And he recovered the gospel in a time of great darkness and spiritual apathy in our world. And he talked in a table talk to students sometimes. And he said... You know what happens when, when the devil starts throwing accusations at you? You know what you must do? When he starts telling you how bad you are? When he starts telling you you're a sinner? You say, it's true, devil. And I'm worse than you know. I am a sinner. But I have a Savior. And He's made satisfaction for me. I have one who's died for me. I have a perfect sacrifice in Christ. He's the Lamb of God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Prince of Life. And He overthrows the darkness. So be gone, Satan. The Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. Why? Because one word from Jesus, one little word, shall fell Him. Shall fell the devil. So we have accusations and condemnation. The third entry point, or the third method of the devil, 
is to use anger as an entry point to kind of get hooks in you. He loves to stoke the fires of anger, bitterness, and division. That's how he gets a grip. And consider, this, is, this shows up in Ephesians. Consider Paul's comments about anger in chapter 4. Look at it in chapter 4, verse 26. Just flip a page or two over. What does Paul say? In chapter 4 and verse 26, but be angry and do not sin. And then notice this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? And give no opportunity to the devil. He's, he's picturing unchecked, unresolved anger as an opportunity for the devil to reach out and grab you. To reach out and get a grip in your life. Have you ever noticed like what happens when you don't deal with anger in your heart? When you don't deal with anger, it turns to bitterness and it begins to consume, right? It begins to snowball. It gets out of control. It begins to infect everything. What's happening there? But the enemy is getting a foothold in the life of the Christian. Husbands and wives, right? If you don't deal with the conflict in a healthy way in your marriage, you give foothold to the enemy. This is a stratagem of the evil one. Anger is a doorway into your heart. And it gives Satan a grip on your soul. You can be angry and not sin, but unchecked anger gives a place for the devil. Maybe you're in here today and you are experiencing that right now. You've got lifelong grudges that have just built up. You've never done anything about it. You've never, you've never reconciled. You've never said you were sorry. You've never dealt with it. You've never confessed your sin to your loved one. You've never confessed. You're still in bondage to it. You're still trapped by it. Why? Because you're angry. You're bitter. You're enslaved. You're in darkness. And you need Christ to come in and liberate you. The wiles of the devil. They're manifold. They're, they're, they're all sorts of different ways and avenues he gets in. He has strategies to deploy, to hook you, to trap you, and to distort your thinking. Maybe you've had a temptation that works kind of like this. Well, I already messed up once. You know, I might as well make it worth it and just keep going. And so you dig the hole deeper, right? You've ever been hit by that scheme? Or maybe you said, I've, I've tried to do this Christian thing in my own strength. I've tried to be good. I've tried to kind of do the Christian thing. And I'm good in all of these areas. But I'm going to reserve this thing, this life-dominating sin. I deserve it because I'm good everywhere else. And you negotiate compromise. And you're listening to the serpent hiss into your life. And he's like Pharaoh. He's like Pharaoh speaking to the, the Israelites in Egypt. Saying, yeah, you can go worship your God. Go ahead, but leave the kids behind. Leave the cattle. Just a little compromise. But the Lord said through the mouth of Moses, let my people go. And if they were to listen to Pharaoh, they would still be enslaved to this day. And many of us do that very 
thing. So we need to think about the devices, the schemes of Satan. And let me close with this. Lastly, we have a call on our life as Christians. We have a call as the people of God. You have a call on your life to stand against the forces of darkness, to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's the great purpose of the passage. That's the great call of this passage. We stand in what God has already done, and we don't run in the battle. We don't run away. We stand. Look at it in verse 11 as we close. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand. We stand in what God has already done for us. We stand in who Jesus is. We stand in the good gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand on the promises of God. We stand throughout the centuries linking arms with the saints of old throughout all history. As we fight this cosmic battle, this invisible war, this spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms, and we fight the good fight of faith. All through this passage, you see it, right? All through Ephesians 6, you see it in verse 11, stand against the schemes of the devil. You see it in verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? To stand firm. Verse 14 says, stand therefore. It's all over the place because the Christian's call is to stand. I'm reminded of one of my favorite movies, Braveheart. Don't judge me. I love Braveheart. It's a good flick. And ultimately, the Battle of Falkirk, Braveheart is rallying the troops. The British Army is encroaching and approaching. And they're all kind of laying down. They have spears that they're holding onto. And the, the, the cavalry's marching towards them. And you can kind of hear the hoofbeat. Boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden you can just sense there's a tension among the ranks. And Mel Gibson, who plays Braveheart's like, hold, hold, hold. And he keeps saying that. And it's like he's saying, stand, stand your ground, men. Stand your resolve. And you know how it goes. They lift up the spears, surprise the enemy, and they win the battle. Paul is saying that to us today. God is saying that to you today, Christian. Stand your ground. Don't run away. Be aware of the devil's devices. Remember the battle you are immersed in. And if you are a prisoner of war today, you can be set free in Christ. Jesus can liberate you from darkness. But you've got to kneel and bow before the king. And he'll bring you in to his kingdom. He'll make you a child of God. He'll take you from being a child of dark, darkness and in the kingdom of darkness. And he'll transplant you into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what Jesus is all about. He's the Son of God come to save sinners. So let's pray. And as we're praying, I just want you to consider maybe something that you need to pray. Lord, give me strength in this area if you're a Christian.
If you're not a Christian, and maybe the Lord is speaking to you, maybe it's time to surrender to Jesus instead of being a slave of Satan. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great word from Ephesians 6. We thank you, Lord, that there is great hope for the Christian in the midst of the battle. We have a battle that belongs to the Lord, and you fight our battles just like you did for David when he stood before Goliath. Father, I pray that you would be breaking bondage in people's lives, that, that the lies of the evil one, the methods of Satan, the schemes of the evil one, Lord, undo them as they maybe are at work right now in all different places in the room. God, we pray that you would give liberty. I pray that you would give power. I pray that you would give grace. And I pray for those especially who sense a burden that I'm not yet a Christian in the room. Father, that they would admit their sin and that they'd run to the only one who can help them, the only one who can liberate them. They don't have to keep living for the satanic inspirations the world holds out. They can be set free in Christ. So we pray they would in Jesus' name. Amen.